spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longstrugs. Happy Aloha Friday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. Today, we welcome back a familiar face here to talk about one of our most important resources, that is water. And Ryan, let's uh, tee up our guest. That's right. We always enjoy having the conversation this morning with Ernie Lau from the Board of Water Supply, uh, the chief engineer over there uh, leading the charge, if you will, on what's happening with Red Hill and with our drinking water. Good morning, sir. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Uh, let's start off uh, just broad scale. The last time we spoke, we spoke about the Navy's timeline to def defuse Red Hill, giving about a two and a half year window. Uh, you spoke about uh, your thoughts on that, saying that that was just not acceptable overall. What types of conversations have happened since the last time we last spoke? And has there been any progress made in terms of communication with the military or any updates on that timeline that they set forth? Uh, in terms of uh, uh, communication with the military on their defueling, uh, we haven't heard anything. Uh, we were anxiously awaiting some updates due by the end of the month or I, I guess September 7th. Uh, so we, we look forward to seeing a, a robust defueling plan uh, next week sometime. In the meantime, I know that you are doing your own testing of water resources around the island. Can you give us an update on what you're finding in the test wells? Uh, the latest finding that we have that uh, we made uh, public a, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, held the, uh, I guess, uh, distributed information to the community, uh, is the discovery of uh, some fuel contamination chemicals in a test well, a monitor well, monitoring well in Mauna Loa Valley, uh, what we call DH-43. Uh, this well was installed back in 1945. It's only two inches in diameter, but we're able to get a water sample from the underground aquifer deep, deep below. And we tested that well back in 2015 after the 2014 leak of tank number five. Uh, we didn't find any of these chem chemicals. They're called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, but we ran a test last year just because, you know, there was a fuel leak back in May uh, from tank near tank 20. Uh, there was a November fuel leak near Red Hill shaft uh, that contaminated Red Hill shaft. So we ran a test uh, earlier this year and what we discovered was polycyclate aromatic hydrocarbons at very low levels were, de were now detected uh, in that monitor well. Uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons are things that occur naturally in coal or petroleum products like crude oil or gasoline or jet fuel or diesel. Um, and uh, DH-43, this location is about 1,500 feet away from the uh, nearest tank at the Red Hill facility called Tank 20. Um, the uh, chemicals include things like uh, benzene, benzaethrosine, uh, Benzo, benzo, a pyrene and naphthalene, uh, uh, pyrene. Uh, these are different chemicals in this family of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Um, 
These are a complex mixture, mixture of different chemicals. Uh, they form usually when you're burning coal, oil, gasoline, wood, or garbage and to tobacco. So if you like a nice charred steak, a lot of black char marks on that steak, uh, uh, you could have pH generated uh, in that in that blackened areas of the, of the meat. Uh, it also is present in in cigarette smoke. So after finding that results, I mean, how often are you now testing? Has testing changed because of uh, those findings? Are you testing more frequently? Uh, if you can speak about some of the measures that you've taken to just ensure that you know th that this is not showing up in other areas and and what the testing looks like right now. So we're testing at also our five wells uh, around nearest to the Red Hill facility, both of the south, that includes our Monolo wells, and also our four wells uh, to the northwest, uh, Halava Shaft, which is shut down, Aia Halava Wells, which is also shut down, our Aia Gulch wells. Uh, so we haven't confirmed the detection of PAHs in any of those wells also, uh, but we have confirmed it in this DH43. So what we're doing now at uh, is looking at trying to do these tests on a monthly basis. Uh, we're t we, um, I just want to thank Mr. Erwin Kawata. Uh, he's the head of our water quality division. Back in 2014, when that leak became, uh, we became of that aware of that leak out of, from tank number five, uh, he worked with the laboratories on the mainland to look at how to make our tests for PAH more sensitive, to increase the level of sensitivity so that we can detect these chemicals at very low rate, uh, low levels. Uh, so he was able to do that and it's a reliable uh, approach. Uh, so we these detections are at very low levels, uh, parts per trillion range. Uh, and uh, But we do that because we wanna get an early warning of things maybe that might change over time. Better to catch it at lower levels uh, detected at lower levels so that we can anticipate and watch it. So what's going to be very important right now is to watch if there's changes in the levels or concentrations of these chemicals in DH43 over time. We're going to go to monthly tests. The tests take about over two months to get the test results back because they're trying to, you basically almost like uh, need uh, clean room conditions to conduct this test. Well, what, you know, when you look at that, and I, we want to make clear that this is a monitor well, not a drinking water well, um, that is a distinction that's very important. But still, um, when you see that, what, do, what does it indicate to you? What are you most concerned about in seeing those chemicals in this monitor well? You know, one of, one of the things that tells us uh, is that the uh, field contamination, and we suspect the Red Hill facility, which is the only field type of facility in Mauna Loa Valley, which is all really residential, uh, except for the golf course, is that the uh, the contamination, I we believe, has moved off of Navy property. Uh, so I think the uh, investigation into uh, the underground aquifer on both sides, on the Mauna Loa side, uh, to the east and also the Halava side to the west, uh, that needs to proceed uh, uh, looking outside of Navy property. Uh, we need to drill more monitor wells. The Navy needs to drill more monitor or test wells outside of Navy property to see if how far uh, contamination is migrating in what direction and what kind of chemicals we might find uh, in the groundwater. The DH43 finding is also contrary to conventional thinking about groundwater flow in the underground aquifer. 
because typically the experts have believed that groundwater is moving from Honolulu toward the west, toward Halava Valley. Uh, and not, and in this case, this is actually indication that there could be potential groundwater flow from the Red Hill facilities uh, eastward toward Honolulu. The question is how far? Uh, so we have plans that we're looking at right now to drill more test wells in Mauna Loa Valley to look at how far eastward could the contamination from Red Hill move. You know, you just said that uh, you would like the military to also increase their test well capacity and to be able to help in this effort to test wells. Uh, is that a request that you have made to the military? Have they said that they are open to uh, including this as part of the cleanup efforts? And if not, and if the Board of Water Supply is responsible for that, uh, does the department have the funding? Because I imagine that will also take up uh, a lot of resources to be able to drill these additional test wells. So the primary party that's responsible to do this investigation should be the U.S. Navy, the who's created the problem, you know, with this field facility, leaks from this field facility. They are, they do have plans and we know that the Department of Health and EPA have recommended to them to look at drilling more wells outside of Navy property. Uh, but right now, in terms of the order or sequence of work that they seem to be conducting, as far as we know, they seem to be focused on drilling wells, test wells on their property within the Navy Red Hill Fields, uh, Field Facility property. But we want them to kind of reverse the priority and start to really pursue drilling outside of their property in both sides of the valleys. Uh, so uh, it's primarily their responsibility. Board of Water Supply, we're doing it to add in this effort because we have a very important vested interest in finding out how damaged the underground aquifer is and, and its potential impact uh, in the future on an even BWS wells. We wanna find out if there is things moving underground in the aquifer, petroleum contaminants, that might be moving toward our border water supply wells. So you know, we're, we're using our funds right now to get that effort started right away. I'm interested also to know about the wells that have been shut down, Halava Shaft and so on. Uh, have you found any incidences there? And is there a timeline to open those again or are those shut down indefinitely? Where do we stand on that? Yeah, we haven't confirmed any uh, contaminant uh, detections in those wells. We continue to monitor them even though they're shut down. Uh, we don't have a timeline uh, for turning them back on uh, because, again, going back to the analogy of both the Navy and the Board of Water Supply having straws in the same cup on different sides of the cup. On one side is the Red Hill shaft sucking from the aquifer on their side at Red Hill, and we're sucking from the same cup on the other side of the valley. Our concern still remains, will we inadvertently pull the contamination that we know is in the groundwater uh, near and below the Red Hill facility and pull it across the valley faster if we turn on those wells. So for right now, we we don't have any plans to turn them back on until we can be really sure that if we do so, we won't pull the problem toward us faster. One of the other things that you have said on the past on this program and just publicly was that the Board of Water Supply would need to look for additional sources of water through different aquifers and different uh, tapping different sources. Uh, has that process begun and what does that timeline look like in terms of just trying to find additional service, uh, services for water and, and sources of water, knowing that this particular shaft could be down, an aquifer could be down indefinitely? So, you know, because it's indefinite on the shutdown of those three wells, 
we're already proceeding to pursue new well development. Uh, so right now we have uh, one well that's uh, being proposed in the IA area at one of our water tank sites. And that, uh, that project is already the environmental assessment, uh, draft environmental assessment is already out publicly and we're seeking comments. Uh, so we're gonna proceed hopefully to be able to put that well out to bid for construction of that exploratory well in the next few weeks. Uh, so we're already moving forward. We're not waiting. And and how much of the deficit will that make up? Because we know that these are pretty critical wells that have been shut down for some time. Just, just remember Halava Shaft. It's one of our largest water sources on the island. And for Honolulu, it represents a significant portion of our supply capacity. On, on an average basis, it could pump 10 to 11 million gallons of water a day from that one facility. And in the summers, it could go up higher. This well at Aiea will just be a fraction of that capacity. It's going to take a lot more wells that are probably going to be smaller in capacity uh, to replace the capacity we currently have turned off. I want to maybe shift our focus a little bit more just on the availability of water right now with the sources that we have and being, uh, you know, going through these hot summer months where we tend to see less rain. Uh, how is the supply overall of water right now? And have you continued to see a decrease in usage now that you have called for this voluntary scaling back of residents to conserve water here uh, in Honolulu? So when we do the analysis of the Aea Halava system, which is a smaller water system impacted, and the larger Honolulu system, which goes all the way out to the Hawaii Kai Kalama Valley area, uh, we see that uh, uh, we have still a little bit extra capacity available uh, to meet the demands of our customers and to handle development. Uh, so a little bit uh, more capacity, spare capacity in Honolulu, a little less in the Aya Halava system. But at this point, we see if we could just ask people to voluntarily conserve water, we hope to make it through the summer. We've been tracking water use in those two water systems very closely. And what we've seen actually uh, the levels of use be lower than it was last year in 2021. And, and what we're seeing that the uh, people are hearing the, the, our requests for water conservation, hearing our, hearing our pleas. And I just want to mahalo our customers uh, for helping to save uh, our precious buy and only use what they need to, because I th we think water conservation is making a difference. Island-wide, uh, the water use has gone up also but it's lower than the five-year monthly average. Uh, even though it's been 90-degree uh, weather, and, and fortunately this morning we had a little bit of rain. Uh, as I was walking my dog, uh, we got a little bit of sprinkles on us, uh, but every drop of rain helps. But people are saving water and that's making a difference. We ask them not to give up or to relax their efforts, but to continue because the National Weather Service, I think, is predicting a dry conditions all the way up to November and possibly even into next spring. Uh, so if it goes into next spring, we will need everybody's cocoa to try to save water yet. I want to bring, oh, sorry, I want to bring in this question from Ingrid. She says, the new IAL well won't pull contamination from the Pearl Harbor area. Is it tapping the same or a different aquifer? What can you tell us about where that IAL well's water is coming from? It's gonna tap the same aquifer, but further west. And what we're hoping is that 
it'll be farther enough west so that it won't pull the contamination toward it. We already have a lot of pumping wells uh, in the same aquifer further west. So the question from the Red Hill facility, and that's why these monitor wells are very important. They'll tell us how far westward is it migrating, what types of chemicals, and uh, uh, how is the groundwater flowing uh, actually as we drill these wells. So we're hopeful that this new well, which is a, a, a exploratory well, we're going to pump it and test it. Uh, and test the water. Uh, we'll find out if there is fuel contamination in that water when we run the pumping tests. I want to circle back on water usage overall. You know, there are many residents, as you said, that are trying to find creative ways to save water. You know, I know family members that are saving the water they use when they're washing rice. They use, they save the water that they use before turning on for the hot water to come on uh, and just putting it in buckets and using that water to, you know, feed uh, plants and water plants at night. Uh, but a lot of local residents are saying that the tourists that enter uh, the islands and, and specifically in the Waikiki area should be also aware of some of our water issues and try to find ways to conserve water. Has there been any effort by the tourism industry to help in this effort to cut back water? And is that conversations that you're having with these officials to explain the importance of trying to preserve water during this time? Yes, we've had many conversations with the tour visitor industry. In particular, right now, we have this uh, uh, collaborative uh, partnership with Outrigger Hotels. Uh, we're doing water audits at a number of their properties to look at ways for them to be more efficient at using water and not wasting it. Uh, they're, they're very committed to working with us. Uh, we've reached out and have spoken multiple times now to the Hawaii Tourism Authority as they uh, increase their programs to Malama, Hawaii. Uh, we want to send the message to our visitors. You're welcome to come visit Hawaii, uh, but our precious vi is a precious resource for our community. Use only what you need. Don't waste it. Uh, so we, we believe that message is uh, starting to take hold. And we've uh, had very positive receptions from the visitor industry. I'm interested to know, you know, the, the testing that you outlined uh, sounds very thorough. It also sounds like it would probably be very expensive, as is drilling new wells. Uh, what are your thoughts on having to do any kind of rate increases? We know that ultimately the federal government, uh, there are many folks uh, who think that the federal government ought to foot the bill. But at this point, uh, have you seen any commitments of money? And in the meantime, I would guess that ratepayers are floating the cost. So are you expecting to having to raise rates to cover all of this testing in the wells and so on? So even before the Red Hill uh, crisis occurred last year, we, we already had plans to do our water rate study for the next five-year period uh, of uh, scheduled rate increases. And we do that because we have to continue to get enough funding to pay for the operation of the water system, but also continue to invest in re, uh, revitalizing the infrastructure, the pipes, the tanks, the pumps that are, that are needed across the island to serve our one million people. So we have to continue to invest in that. Uh, and it's going to require us to have enough revenue to do that because Board of Water Supply, we are financially self-sufficient. By folks paying their water bills, that's how you pay for the operation of this massive water system every day. And, uh, and what you do is uh, you're also paying toward replacing old pipes, fixing pumps, building new water tanks, repairing old water tanks. So it's important. That's why rate increases are necessary to keep on investing in this vital critical infrastructure for our community. We're very aware that we have to do it in a fashion that is 
affordable for our customers because we know very well that people are are struggling to make ends meet, especially with the high inflation. Think of high inflation that you're experiencing right now. Board of Water Supply operationally, we're experiencing the same in uh, same issues. We're seeing uh, energy costs really increase quite uh, radically. Uh, we, we hope it'll level off. Uh, but rather than passing that cost increase in our electricity bill, uh, I've asked the department to look at ways to tighten our belts, to control our costs, uh, so that we don't try have to go back to our customers right now to pass that uh, energy cost increases back to them. But in the long term, we need to plan on new rate increases uh, because the worst thing to do is to slow down the investment or not invest adequately in our critical infrastructure here because at some point, we, are, everybody will have to pay the price and we don't want to get to that point. We had Senator Schatz on this program uh, just a few days ago, and one of the things that he spoke about was trying to ensure that the military and the Navy help to pay for this and working to figure out what sort of financial needs are needed to insert that into the budget and also to ensure that they are paying for uh, some of these efforts that you speak of. What are are those conversations that you're involved with, uh, with you know the senator, of course, and, and others uh, as a part of the congressional delegation to ensure that the military is paying their share and how are you deciding what the Board of Water Supply would pay for uh, as compared to what you would hold the Navy responsible for? Right now we're using our funds because we have to move quickly. We can't wait until the federal government uh, goes through the process to allocate funds to us. But also we realized we didn't create this problem and our community didn't create this problem that has uh, impacted our underground aquifer and is causing Board of Water Supply to incur costs. So ultimately, the military, the Department of Defense should be responsible to reimburse all of our ratepayers the costs that, that we're incurring to deal with this situation. But we realize that that process could take time. We are in direct communication with all four of our congressional delegation to let them know that we are incurring these costs. Uh, we provided an estimate of what the new water wells, replacement wells might cost, almost $200 million in costs over time. What I don't understand is how the congressional process works. So we're working, talking very closely to our congressional delegation. They are gonna be key uh, to successfully getting us the funding in the future to make sure it's in the, uh, authorized under the uh, appropriations uh, and, and in the appropriations or the budget itself. So authorization and appropriation. I'm interested in, in, you know, when we talk to Senator Schatz, one of the things that he also said that the Secretary of Defense was expected to do in the next few weeks was appoint one person from the military to be solely responsible for the operation of the cleanup uh, and the draining of the tanks and what have you. He said, I believe he said a three-star general, but I want to make sure that, no, no, don't quote me on that. It was either an admiral or a general. Uh, in any case, it would be someone, uh, a pretty high level person in the military to take over this project entirely uh, so that you would just have one person in charge and that the person who's managing, you know, the Pacific Command could then focus on those issues because, of course, those are significant as well. What kind of a difference do you think having that one key player would be uh, in your communications with the military and with the overall success of defueling this facility? I think having one key player that's there for a long term, 
that's not going to move every two or three years, and a new player coming in is important. Uh, and at a, I think it's might be a three-star admiral level. Uh, I'm not sure though. Um, it's going to be important to understand clearly what their scope of responsibility will be. Will it just be for the defueling of the Red Hill facility, uh, or is it also re responsible for the re uh, investigation and cleanup of the aquifer? Uh, because I think uh, it needs to be both. It needs to be the defueling and shutdown of the Red Hill facility, but also the investigation and cleanup of the aquifer. Uh, so I'm hopeful, but I, I, I kind of remain, um, keep my judgment on this uh, open, pending seeing something officially from the Navy, from the DOD on this. So I've heard talk about it, um, uh, but I, I need to see exactly what they're committing to do. It is a promising first step that you have somebody at a higher level, a three-star admiral level, uh, as opposed to the one-stars that we have right now that we're working with. Beyond just Red Hill, of course, you are managing the Board of Water Supply and all the other issues and things that are happening. Uh, we know that there are countless uh, water main breaks that still occur, uh, times where roads <laughs> are shut down that you guys are having to also tackle. I mean, those that was really your world in some sense. And a lot of the focus that the media paid attention a lot of times before Red Hill was those water main breaks. If you can update us on just the overall infrastructure of this, you know, of, of updating some of these water mains and some of the efforts that you're making to ensure that, uh, you know, the infrastructure as a whole, not only is maintained and can manage uh, just supplying water to customers, but are also upgraded moving into the future. Yeah, so we have a, a capital program that, uh, when I first became the manager uh, almost 10 years ago, it was only in the 40 or so million range annually. We're now at about $180 million every year in the CIP program. So we really expanded. And it was based on our 30-year water master plan that we uh, the board adopted back in 2016, identified the level of investment necessary to keep this vital infrastructure going basically forever. Uh, so we've increased the amount of pipeline projects and pump station repair projects, uh, water tank uh, repair projects, uh, quite substantially. Uh, so, but it's still, you know, not enough. It, it will be, well, our target is right now to, we've got 2,100 miles of pipeline. Our target right now is just to get to replacing 1% of that or 21 miles each year. We're not there yet, uh, but we're working hard to get to that level. Uh, but that's that's a start. I want to end where we started. We are just about out of time. For viewers who are joining us late, uh, we want to update folks and let them know that there were some contaminants identified in a monitoring well in Moanalua Valley. When people hear that, um, that makes them obviously concerned. So bottom line, as we end today's program, is our water safe to drink? And how confident are you that it will remain that way? Our water is safe to drink, and I'm um, confident we'll, we'll keep it that way. Uh, the unknown here is what's happened to the underground aquifer from the leaks from the Red Hill facility of the past and recently. And unless they defuel that facility uh, soon, there could be potential for further leaks getting into the aquifer. So I can't say what the long-term future will bring. Uh, just know that the Board of Water Supply is committed to providing safe drinking water to our community. Uh, we're also very aware that uh, there's going to be a need for more water capacity, water supply capacity to handle the development of affordable housing 
And we're working hard to also try to address those needs too. All right, Ernie Lau from the Board of Water Supply, thank you so much for joining us here on this Friday and updating us on the Red Hill situation and then everything else that you are dealing with over there at the Board of Water Supply. We really appreciate you spending time with us and updating us uh, and, you, and, and for always for your transparency in the information that you provide. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And mahalo to all our customers for saving water. Thank, Thank you. you. Aloha. Ryan, I think David sums it up right here. Truth, facts, and transparency. Thank you, Mr. Lau. He's always a popular guest because he really is so very honest in his responses. Uh, if you missed any part of this conversation, remember you can watch it later on Channel 50, watch it here on this platform, or catch it as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, very important information that he shared right at the top that we circled back to at the end. Uh, some chemicals found in a monitoring well in Moanalua Valley. Uh, that's not a drinking water well, but he does say that it is troubling and they are switching that from uh, monitoring that area on an annual basis to now monitoring it monthly. But those tests take time. He says it's about a two month turnaround that has to be sent to the mainland and it's a very uh, specific test that requires what he called basically a clean room. So it's not something that you can just, you know, run in a lab locally. It's something that is very, very time consuming, but very important right now. And his call for more of these testing wells to be set up uh, and really for the military to step up to help in that process of addressing these testing and the testing capacity by adding more of these testing wells in and around that area, as well as beyond of where they could anticipate some of these, uh, you know, water, uh, uh, water being flown into and, and really just he's saying flip this, the mentality of the military right now, instead of just using the testing wells that service the military community, but moving beyond just the military and going into the neighboring communities uh, that surround the area and impact other residents here that may potentially be impacted by this by adding those additional testing. We also heard from him saying, you know, really frankly, that this is not a problem that we put on. This is a problem that the military brought on us and that therefore the military should be responsible for picking up the tab. But right now they cannot wait for that funding to come through from the federal government. And while Senator Schatz, as well as other congressional delegation members are pushing for more funding, the Board of Water Supply right now is having to front some of those costs to expedite this process of finding additional sources, as well as to assist in this testing effort. Yeah. And he said that those, those wells that they want to drill and sort of making up from the Halava shaft and other areas that have had to be shut down because of Red Hill, their estimate right now is that that will cost around $200 million just for that portion. That does not include, of course, some of the other issues that could arise when we think about cleanup or testing or other things. This is just to replace some of that water. To that end, they are drilling in IAEA uh, to try to set up a new well, but he said in his own words that it will be just a fraction of the water that we now cannot access uh, because they want to be so careful about not drawing that contamination across the valley. So a lot of updates. He spoke very highly of having a person in charge, not only from the military, not only uh, of the cleanup, but also of, uh, you know, not only, sorry, rather of the draining of the well, but also the cleanup in the future. That's something that he's hoping for. Uh, of course, all lies on September 7th. That's when the Navy said they will release a new timeline. We are watching for that report as well uh, to see what new things they bring. Someone else who's watching that, of course, is our guest on Wednesday. We are taking Monday off. We hope you are able to as well. Uh, join us here on Wednesday for our conversation with Governor David Ige. Yeah, always a lot to talk with about the governor, uh, including this Red Hill and the efforts to defuel. Uh, we should have a general idea also of that report when we speak to him, but also 
about some of the other uh, issues and topics that are happening in and around the state. Uh, always a lot of topics we cover with Governor Ige and looking forward to another conversation with him on Wednesday. We hope you have a great and safe long weekend. We'll see you right back here on Wednesday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long Drugs.